Let's open our Bibles, please, the book of Genesis, the 49th chapter. If you remember in our last lesson, we just mentioned Jacob blessing uh, several of his sons in a very uh, minimum way. But tonight I would like for us to see that uh, section of Scripture in the 49th chapter of Genesis. And we'll deal with them in uh, detail, more detail tonight, because we only have a short way to go to finish our lesson in the book of Genesis. And usually we're covering five or six chapters, so tonight we'll try to just uh, give you a little more details since we only have two chapters in the culmination of the life of Jacob and Joseph in the 50th chapter. And we'll speak of these uh, sons of, of Jacob in the 49th chapter as types of Christians and maybe give us a little more applicable words tonight so we can apply them to our lives in looking at these sons and the blessings that he pronounces upon them. Now, Jacob's dying and prophetic benediction, of course, uh, will tell us what will befall the sons of Israel in the last days, but also the immediate prediction of what would happen to his sons in the Old Testament, the historical aspect of it. And it's also characteristic of these sons and uh, the things that happen to them should apply to us and will show us how that they are really applicable to us today as, as we meet the same conditions. And so if you'll keep that in mind as we study these blessings upon the sons of Jacob. And it says in chapter 49, verse 1, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I might tell you uh, that which shall befall you in the last days. And by the way, the things that are predicted here are prophetic of their future even yet. And during the tribulation, uh, uh, future times. But then, of course, it applied to them historically. What would characterize those tribes during the, the Old Testament era. And then, furthermore, they're applicable, as I said, to show us what Christians should be like and what we find here in certain ones. And it shows us various types of Christians. It says in verse 2, Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. And then he begins in verse 3 to start with each and every son. And we're going to give them a name. First of all, here's Reuben. We'll call them unstable Reubens. Unstable. If you figure uh, it applies to a Christian, we'll say unstable Reubens. Now then, let's look at it. It says uh, in verse 3 and 4, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, and the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. And then he says in verse 4, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. And look, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then, defi then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. And you know, Reuben here, had many excellencies. And Reuben is a type of a Christian who has uh, many excellent gifts, but one besetting sin. And this shows us that in spite of all of the gifts that we may have, that that besetting sin can undo everything that we have that could be of, be of use and be useful. We've seen it in the ministry, haven't we? We've seen it in Christians' lives. They can, they can be... Uh, some of the best people you, you know, and then because of falling into sin and because of, of, of uh, 
uncontrollable passions, because of not being able to to control uh, their carnal nature, they fall into sin, and it causes a lot of trouble. Reuben, through sin, uh, lost his birthright. It cost him his birthright. Sin always engenders instability. It says, unstable as water. And sin always makes people unstable. And it leads to the loss of birthright and the loss of spiritual power and the loss of progress. In other words, it makes a Christian just spin his wheels and not get anywhere. It makes all that he's ever done that would be beneficial, all of his excellencies are are put to a stop because of besetting sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, that let us lay aside every weight, now listen, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and run with patience the race that is set before us. If you want to reference 1 Chronicles 5, and verse 1 and 2 says this, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the sons of I- the son of Israel. See, his birthright was given to Joseph's sons on account of his sin. And the uh, genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. We're not even going to count his genealogy after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. You see what sin cost him? If you want to see the sin, look back in uh, Genesis chapter 35. Here's what happened after the death. Let me read verse... um, uh, 19 through 22. <clears throat> 19 through 22. In Genesis 35, it says, And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Now, this is uh, one of Jacob's wives. Remember, this is really his dear wife, because old Laban deceived him and gave him Leah in place of, of Rachel, which he should not have done. And this is the only one that God ever considered that was uh, Jacob's wife, was Rachel. But anyway, be that as it may, and all the things that went on in, in the patriarch's times, uh, trying to uh, do what they thought they could do uh, to prosper and to get along in life, and uh, having more than one wife, and etc., and even uh, concubines and handmaids and so on. Be that as it may, and it's not proper because God's Word only ever considered one person to be Jacob's wife. But anyway, it says, And Rachel, this is the one, died and was buried in the way to Ephraim, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is, the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Now, she died in the birth of Benjamin, the last one of, uh, of Jacob's sons. Now, verse 21, And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. Now, look, here. In verse 22, it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. And this was Rachel's uh, uh, handmaid, or the woman that uh, took care of her. And this is where his sin came in. And because of this sin, because of his lust, because of his passion, because it was uncontrollable, he became... Uh, the one that would, instead of having all the blessings and all the excellencies and all of the uh, blessings of the firstborn son, Reuben, he lost everything. You see how easy it is? You know, we cannot brag as we go along life's way as a Christian. We may have many blessings and many gifts, but God expects us to keep that old sinful nature 
uh, to uh, crucify the flesh and to keep the old carnal nature at bay and to be able to control our passions. And if we let those things get out of control, then, of course, we're not uh, the men and women that we uh, ought to be as Christians. The loss of spiritual power and the loss of progress. And we've seen it happen not only in the ministry, we've seen it happen in people's lives when it happens to, to Christians and, and the laymen and laywomen of the church. Now then, the second one, if you look at verses 5 through 7, hold your place where we're studying in Genesis 49. In this section we see self-willed Simeons and Levi's. Both of them are coupled together here. And, and they're coupled together for a purpose because... Uh, they did a certain thing back in the uh, book of Genesis that uh, brought disgrace, so to speak, to Jacob, their father. And uh, they were instruments of cruelty. Now, let's read concerning them in verses 5 through 7. It says, Simon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret and unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united for in their anger they slew a man and in their self-will self-will see we said they are self-willed in their self-will they dig down a wall cursed be their anger for it was fierce and their wrath for it was cruel I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel and they were scattered in their anger and in their self-will you know back in Genesis 34 verse 30 in the incident with the Shechemites when Dinah was defiled and they came in and they slew all of these Shechemites and etc. and all the circumstances related to that incident and by the way it was Simeon and Levi that did this in that Jacob said you have troubled me they brought great trouble to their father by what they did how much trouble does self-will bring us and how much trouble self-will brings upon ourselves and others as well self-will brings trouble to ourselves but it also brings trouble to others in the conduct of these sons led to division and scattering and if you look over in Joshua chapter 19 verses 1 through 9 you'll find that they received no allotment in in the land of Canaan when the land was divided there are always uh, fruits to a self-seeking spirit when we seek only for self we have to bear the fruit of it we need to bring this kind of self-seeking spirit to the cross and surrender and say, Lord, I want to do your will, not my will, but thine be done. In Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. And Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So we find that this spirit of self-seeking and self-will has to be done away with. Now let's look at Judah in verses 8 through 12. Look at Judah. Judah... Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. By the way, Judah means praise. Judah is, is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him? He, first he's a, he's a lion's whelp, then he's a lion, then he's an old lion. All three aspects of the... Lion. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, uh, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the uh, blood of grapes. 
His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. We said last week that wine speaks of blood and milk speaks of, in symbolical of the word of God. And we find that Judah is the one that means praise. So we'll call him praising and courageous Judas. We want to find in what category we need to fit tonight, or maybe a little bit of several of these, uh, at least the good points. We don't want to fall into all the evils that some of these things brought upon some of the sons of, of Jacob, but at least reap and glean from the good points. Judah means praise, praise of Jehovah. This would indicate worshiping God, wouldn't it? Judah is the lion's whelp. You know, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. It's a prediction of the birth of Christ or the coming of the Messiah. And he will always possess the scepter of power. will have victory over the enemy. The scepter of spiritual power has departed from many Christians today because of what cowardice and unfaithfulness to God. And Judah was courageous and praising. The true Judahs are always leaders. In the book of Numbers, chapter 10, let me read this verse for you. Verse 14, In the first place went the standard of the camp of the children of Judah. When they were ready for marching, the first standard that was held up and seen was the standard of the camp of Judah. He was in the forefront. He was not the firstborn of Jacob's sons, was he? But he was in the forefront because he was the one that was uh, the leader and chosen to be the leader. If you'll remember in Revelation chapter 5, let me read this for you. In verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And so the lion, Christ is seen, first of all, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember, he came from the tribe of Judah. And then he's seen as a lamb. So the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world is not only the meek lamb that was slain and sacrificed, but he's the lion that shall rule and reign and have the scepter of power in the book of Revelation. And we shall live and reign with him. And Judah is typical and symbolical of that one. And then let's look down in verse 13. You have our text? Look in verse 13 now. <clears throat> it says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall uh, be unto Zidon. Here you have, uh, we might call these the comforting and consoling Zebulun's. Comforting and consoling Zebulun's. By the way, if you want these titles after the service is over, if you miss them, I'll be glad to give them, give them to you. Zebulun shall be for a haven. The word means a dwelling or a place of refuge for the distressed, a haven of the sea. Have you ever seen uh, in read stories concerning the storm-tossed uh, sailor, the one out on the sea, and he'd find a haven of rest on the shore and a haven of the sea, a place of refuge, a place to dwell, a place for the distressed. Zebulun's border went up toward the sea. The modern sons of consolation are ready to offer comfort to all storm-tossed souls. You and I ought to be Zebulun's, you know it. We ought to offer, offer comfort to people that are in trouble when they're in the storms of life. The ministry of kindness is always acceptable. 
In Isaiah 40, verse 1, the Scripture says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. And sometimes God's people need to be comforted. And they need to find a refuge. And they need a, a place by the sea where they can be rescued and where there's a safe haven. He shall be a haven for a haven. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. We need to be peacemakers and comforters and those that will console others. Comforting and consoling Zebulun's. Remember Paul said at one time that, that we comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So when God gives us comfort and God gives us rest and God gives us consolation, we ought not to be selfish and keep it to ourselves, but be able to kind of share it with someone else in times of trouble and trial. And then we find in verses 14 and 15, timid and oppressed Issachars. Timid and oppressed. Look at verse 14 and 15. These are the, uh, this is what Jacob now said to his sons. He says, Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens, a burden-bearing beast. And he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant. He had all the good points. But he said, and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant under tribute. Timid and self-oppressed, Issachar's. He saw that rest was good, but being afraid to offend the enemy, he bowed down and became a servant to tribute. Sometimes we know that God uh, has given us uh, good things and He's given us rest, but we become servants anyway. He bowed down and became a servant to tribute. And so the dying father characterizes him as a strong ass, strong but stupid, one who possesses the power but through the fear of man gets ensnared and enslaved. You know, a Christian has the power to excel. You have the power of the Holy Spirit not to be always having to be in bondage to the world, the flesh and the devil. And you don't have to be that way. But a lot of people submit to the tribute of the enemy just because they're not willing to exert themselves and, and not be self-oppressed and to be strong with the power, the strong ass. Look, he was strong, but he was couching down between the burdens, between two burdens. You know, the Bible says, you're bought with a price. Listen, be not ye the servants of men. See, you, you have dignity as a Christian, as a child of God. You belong to the Lord. You're a child of the King. The Bible says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Then why should we bow down and be the servants of men? That doesn't mean we should think more of ourselves than we are. Remember Paul taught us in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. Remember what he said about ourselves? He says that a man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think what? Soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And we taught you, we've taught you before. You know, some things that are principles, some things that are lasting, can be taught over and over again, and we just need to be reminded. There's three, three ways of thinking. Too highly of yourself, or let no man despise thee, and then the center ground to think soberly, as according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And we've taught you this before in Sunday school and in preaching and everything. So... We're not to be better than the next fellow, but we're not to be his doormat. You see? We're to stand on our own two feet, and we're, we have dignity and honor and respect. And if you can come to that middle ground where you can embrace the lowly and yet 
stand your ground with those that think they're better and stand in the middle ground, you'll find a happy way of thinking and a godly way of thinking. So you and I are not better than the next fellow, but we're not worse. We're not to be lifted up with pride, but we're not to be down on the ground and be tromped on into the dirt either. And Paul didn't take that uh, uh, way of, of doing. When Paul, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he went about, he said, you remember when they wanted him to come out of the prison? They heard, he, he says, no, we're not coming out. Paul and Silas, they were in prison, they were beaten. And the next day they said, well, you guys can go. They said, no, let them come and fetch us out. When they heard that he was a Roman citizen, well, they, they began to fear. They thought, well, look, this guy is due some respect. And here we are just throwing him around in jail and whipping him around. says, he's not going to take that. He, he wouldn't even come out of prison. Can you imagine a guy being in prison and then wouldn't come out till they come and brought him out with dignity? And he wanted to be brought out with honor. And Christians have a middle ground that they should take. So we're talking about uh, timid and self-oppressed Issachars, a type of those who have all the strength of Christ at their disposal, yet they remain timid and weak. You know, God has given us strength and power. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We don't have to be on, under the yoke. And yet many Christians bow to the yoke of every passion, and they become the bond slaves of the world when they need they could be delivered. And then the next one, we're going to have to hurry. I thought I was going to go through this 90 miles an hour. And sure enough, I'm going to run short of time if I don't get busy. Verse 16 and 17. Look at this. Verse 16 and 17. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path, that biteth the horse heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. Here's Dan. Dan shall judge. He shall be a serpent by the way. Dan may represent those Christians who through wisdom and cunning know how to bring down the pride of the enemy. The spiritual Danites can discern and judge, and they know how to apply the truth of, of God's Word. And that's what they should do. And then Gad's in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Gad, a troop, shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Look, there's two overcomings here. A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Gad shall be overcome, but shall overcome. There, you know, it's true of every Christian that would be an overcomer. He first must be overcome by the blood of Christ, and then he can be an overcomer through the blood of the Lamb. He, he can be conquered by grace and yet be conquerors through grace. In Deuteronomy 33, let me see if I can find this. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 20, it says this. <clears throat> Listen carefully. And, and of Gad, he said, Blessed is he, be he that enlargeth Gad. He dwelleth as a lion, and he teareth the arm with the crown of the head. So he can overcome, finally. And then Asher. Look at verse 20. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. We'll call these, we said the last ones were... Uh, Overcoming Gads. By the way, did I give you the title? Timid and self-oppressed Issachars. Did I give you that? Cunning and self, uh, cun cunning and sharp-dealing Dans, and overcoming Gads, and then blissful Ashers. Asher is blissful. So we'll read that that in verse uh, twenty. It says, "Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties." And we're talking about blissful 
Asher's. It means blessed. And he is a type of those who are blessed of God and satisfied with the blessings of God. And thus he is able to bless others. You know, if you're blessed of God and you're satisfied with the blessings of God, then you can in turn be a blessing to other people. But if you're not blessed of God and you're not satisfied with the blessings of God, you can not very well be a blessing. So let's learn to be satisfied with God's blessings and, and really enter into God's blessings and enjoy God's blessings. And then when we come along to others, we can, we can dispense those blessings. They have the unsearchable riches of Christ. They are filled with the fullness of God and so can minister kindly portions to others. Let me turn to uh, the book of Luke chapter 11. Let me give you for an illustration of that in uh, the 11th of, of uh, Luke. And we'll pick up reading with verse uh, 5. It says, And he said unto them, Which of you having a friend, now this is what Jesus said, Which of you have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now you've got a friend, and you go to him at midnight. Well, someone comes into your house and, 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 and has a need. You go to your friend at midnight. And you say, For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Okay? Suppose I have company. They come to me. A friend comes, and I don't have any food. And I go to your house. And I say, friend, I have a... And it's in the middle of the night. And, and he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. You know why they did that? Because in those days, they had made pallets all over the floor, and there were no lights. You had to get around in the dark a lot of times or light a candle. You might step on a, a kid somewhere. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. So it's an inconvenience, isn't it, to go searching through the house for bread in the middle of the night when all the kids are asleep on the floor. See? So anyway, he says, I, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his uh, importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he need, needed. Okay. Now, what are we talking about? Here's a friend that needs to receive something from someone else before he can give something to, to, to the friend that's come to see him. And you and I are like this. We go to the Lord, and unless God gives something to us, we have nothing to set before anyone else. You see? A fellow comes to us for bread... We say, well, I have to go to the Lord and get that. And I'll come back and give you some of that bread. And so we're talking about being uh, able to bless others. And it's only as we're blessed that we can give to others. It's only as God dispenses the bread to us that we can give the bread out to others. That's very much true in the ministry. That's very much true as Brother Randy and I stand to preach. Only as God gives us the Word and gives us the blessings and gives us the understanding and feeds our souls with the Word, are we able to dispense the bread of life unto other people? And, and we, of course, have to go and get that bread. We don't go... It takes some effort, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes some importunity. It takes some consistency. It takes some uh, asking. And then when we get that bread, we're able to dispense it to others. Every Christian should be that. Then verse 21, Naphtala. Naphtala. Look at verse 21. It says this, Naphtala is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. That's all it says. You know, Jacob, in blessing his sons, comes right to the point. 
He says everything that's necessary about each one of them. He says only what is necessary about each one of them. And he says all that is necessary about each one of them. And, and what he says is very meaningful. He's talking about being joyful. He says he's a hind let loose. He's like a deer out here that had been caught by his horns or been caught in a trap or caught in the, in the limbs and, and he gets loose. Or maybe he's caught and he, he's set free. And he's like a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. He's like the, the happy skipping hind escaped from bondage. And now growing goodly ant, antlers is fit for... Uh, is a fit figure of those joyful Christians who always delight in the liberty wherein Christ has made them free. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't, can you not rejoice in the fact that you're set free? You're delivered from the bondage of sin and from Satan? We go along life and we start grumbling about everything and complaining about everything. We ought to stop and think once in a while we're delivered. Amen. We're no longer under the bondage of sin. We're no longer under in Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. And he's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Why should we complain so much? And yet, when the pressures and the storms and the trials come, we, we forget about the spiritual aspect of our deliverance and look at the material and the physical. And they say, well, we say, oh, this is so hard on me. Well, it probably is. We're probably going through trials. But by the same token, we have spiritual deliverances that we sometimes lose sight of. We're delivered from the law and its condemnation. The Bible tells us we're, we were under the condemnation of the law. And we're set free, a hind let loose, joyful Naphthalus. We ought to be joyful. Paul said for the Galatians to stand fast. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Liberty. And be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't go back and get in the same trap again as if you could, because you're delivered from the law by the blood of Christ and by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The Bible says that he... Uh, redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. And Jesus took the curse and condemnation of the law that was against us and the penalty that was against us and set us completely free. And in Romans chapter 8, it says, What the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and foreseeing, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So He's given us a freedom that we should enjoy. Now let's look at Joseph, <clears throat> verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made uh, strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with the blessings of heaven above. Look at what all uh, Jacob said about Joseph. The blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that uh, was separate from his brethren. My, what a blessing upon Joseph. Joseph, a fruitful bough. First thing is, he's by well. You have to 
be by the well where uh, the the source of your strength and your freshness and the life comes forth. It's uh, abiding close to the Lord. He's a fruitful bough. Here we have a type of an ideal Christian. As a branch, he abode by the well. He kept within touch of the source of supply. And you know Christ is the living water. And you and I always have to stay in touch with the source of that well of water, that springing water. Remember the to the woman of Samaria, Jesus says, uh, This water that I shall give you shall be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And she left her water pot, went away into the city and says, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And she left that physical water, even that vessel to draw the water and to take the water in. And she had a well of water welling up in her and went and told that this is surely the Christ. First thing Jesus did was reveal her sin. And then he gave her the living water. Remember? She says, well, sir, if you have this water, I want some of this living water. And Jesus said, well, he says, go call your husband. He says, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus said, in that saidest thou truly, thou, thou hast had five husbands. The one you have now have, you're not married to. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't he get on some folks today? He'd really straighten things out today. And, and then when he then when she admitted that she, he knew all about her and all of her sins and shortcomings, well, Jesus gave her that living water and she went into the city and says, come meet, see a man that told me all things that ever I did. He knows all my sins and shortcomings. Is not this the Christ? But he was willing to give it to her. And he did give it to her. And uh, so he gives us a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Uh, Joseph, a fruitful bough, and evidence that as a bough he was fully satisfied. You know, he was fruitful, and that, that means satisfaction. He was shot at. Look, it says, uh, the archers, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. That's verse 23. If you're fruitful, you're going to have those that are going to shoot at you and persecute you for righteousness' sake, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 10. If you're fruitful in God's service, some people are not going to like it in spite of it. In spite of the fact that your branches hang over the wall and you're willing to uh, be extended out and be blessing a blessing to others, his branches over the wall means that he was a blessing to others, even those on the outside of salvation. You know, sometimes Christians are put down because uh, uh, they go out and they try to bless the world and the world won't receive their blessings. We go out and we try to be a blessing in the midst of an ungodly world. And yet, they're sorely shot at and persecuted. But we have to learn to overcome that. Pay it very little mind. It says in verse 24, But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, referring to Christ. We find that in spite of all the, the criticism, he still is a, abode his bow abides in strength. The power for service remains as long as we abide by the well and as long as our branches extend over the wall. And then the last one is Benjamin, discontented Benjamins. Look at this. We find him in verse 27. It says, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour uh, the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. We'll call these, instead of fruitful Joseph's, now we come to discontented Benjamins. 
He shall raven as a wolf. He shall uh, devour and divide. And he has many successors today. They know they're, they're known by all their fault finding, you know, criticism. They have a fault finding spirit and always criticizing everything that goes on. Always having a roast or stewed preacher after the morning service. Always tailbearers telling half the truth, prejudging, prejudice, misunderstanding, not knowing all the facts. You know, sometimes it would do well if we get into the facts before we make a judgment. We're so quick to look. We see that with our eyes and automatically we know the answer. We know the cause. We know the outcome. We know the whole situation. But we really don't. Sometimes we see something and we, we misunderstand it and we prejudge it. Prejudice means to prejudge. And if we judge before all the facts are in, I think that's what's happened in a lot of these things that's caused all these riots out in California, you know. We saw a little tape there. And I'm not taking up for that, what took place on that tape. But I, I'm saying this simply. You saw 60 seconds and that's not the whole story. You know, sometimes we just see a little gap of something. We say, look here. But that's not the whole story. And those jurors, and I'm still not trying to justify them. I believe they did their work as honestly as they knew how. But on the other hand, we don't know what all they heard and what all guidelines they were put under to make their decisions and to take their stand and to come up with the decision they came up with. And so we don't, we don't know all that there is to know. And we prejudge things just by a glimpse of, of what's taking place. Someone says, well, you can't be wrong when you see that much. Our eyes have been known to deceive us. And Peter said that he was an eyewitness of the, uh, of the power and the coming of the Lord. And yet he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, where until you do well, if you take heed, there's a light that shineth in a dark place. And he refers us to all Scripture that came by the holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And he says, this is what you better count on, is this sure word of, of prophecy that did not originate with man. And so we find discontented Benjamins, and they're always dividing the spoil. They're delighting to pass around the false and the failure of the brethren. Well, all brethren have their weaknesses. Every preacher has his weaknesses. Every Christian has their weakness. And, you know, we have to be uh, loving and forgiving one another because none of us are yet perfect, are we? There's going to be a, quite a while yet before that happens. When the Lord comes, He'll perfect us and, and present us into His presence with glory. Now, let's hurry on. I want to give you these things in closing. We'll get to the 50th chapter and just sum it up because we have the death of uh, Jacob and the death of Joseph also. And let me just read it. Verse 28 now of the 49th. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. That's what he expected when he died. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, for possession of a burying place. Christians ought to have a burying place. 
There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. That means he went on to be with, with people in glory. He went on to be with those with the Lord. Just now it says we depart to be with Christ in the New Testament. Chapter 50, And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake into the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there uh, shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him uh, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, and the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones and their flock and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very <clears throat> great company. They came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it is called Abel Mizraim which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded. <coughs> For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought uh, with the field of a possession of a burying place of Ephraim the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. They thought, well, now we've got the only link between us and Joseph. And now Jacob's dead, and so Joseph is going to get even with us. For all, and uh, will certainly require us of all the evil which he did, which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. That's when they sold him into bondage. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. <clears throat> you know, they had misjudged Joseph. They thought he wouldn't be forgiving, and he was. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am I in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. See, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. <clears throat> now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake what kindly unto them. No wonder uh, the prediction that Jacob made in Genesis 49, Joseph being a fruitful bough and all its branches hanging over the wall. He spake kindly unto them. Reconciliation. Now look, verse 22. <clears throat> and Joseph dwelt in the land of Egypt. Uh, I mean, excuse me. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father, uh, father's house. And Joseph lived in 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children 
of the third generation, the children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He wasn't buried because he was anticipating a future deliverance. And in the book of Exodus 15, verse 19, it says, when they delivered, the children of Israel were delivered, it says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away from uh, away hence with you. And they took Joseph's bones up, as he predicted. After all the bondage of the children of Israel, remember, starting in the book of Exodus, you'll find that another king arose that knew not Joseph. And they begin, he began to oppress the children of Israel. They're in bondage. Put them in bondage. And then Joseph knew that someday they were going to be 